welcome to the Hope Vineyard Podcast. For more information, go to www.hopevineyardchurch.us. How many of you have heard this verse? We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Yeah. That's one of those verses that says, basically, you know, you can take it like, well, I can, I can make all these great plans. I can do everything, like everything right. But, you know, if it doesn't go right, we know it's because the Lord's determining our steps. <laughs> That's how I I've, I've kind of have looked at it in the past. It's kind of one of those things where it's kind of not always, it, it never was always super comforting to me. But it's something that God has been showing me over the years that it's, it's very much intended to bring comfort. You know, we, I, I had first heard that verse or re- first considered it when we were t- about 20 years now ago, probably even more than that, um, at a Bible study with Ben Hare, who used to be one of the pastors at the Urbana Vineyard, and he's been our mentor, and he's actually still on our board. He's, um, he's a great pastor and he was teaching this class called knowing the will of God and he was basically saying he didn't really think that every single thing you know was we had to know like well God should I wear these socks or these socks you know some people take it to that end and some people just kind of do whatever they want and then leave it up to like well God made me you know get in trouble or God got me arrested and all these things were whereas that wasn't necessarily God either but he was basically saying you know we can God gave us intelligence he gave us minds to connect with his and to connect with reality so we could make plans but then he also kind of guides our steps along the way and as we're pursuing him and knowing him we can know him and his ways and sometimes if we go through struggling times he's still there with us guiding us so it's not like he's bringing us into the struggling times or he's he's causing evil against us but he's there so he determines our steps because he's with us step by step some of you like to plan. I try to, this, this looks kind of like my planner, although it's usually more, you know, scribbled. I either will do that or write on a notebook paper, and sometimes I'll write on my hand because I'm that organized. And I have a calendar and reminders and stuff in my phone, but I would have to be reminded to check them. And so, so, so that's why the hand, if there's something super, super important, you'll see some sort of mark. And it's actually like a mark on the outside of my hand to remind me to look on the inside of my hand. <laughs> it's true. Um, but we, make the, we like to plan because sometimes, for those of us who, who are, are planners, so now some of you might not entirely relate to this, but we're, I'm teaching you about us. So some people, some people like to just leave things out in the open, and it's hard to pin them down, and, and they're kind of like, well, how do I feel this, you know, when I, I know, I'll know what I want to do that day when that happens, and that, or, or they'll mull it over for a super long time. Um, that would be, on the Myers-Briggs, that would be a, a P personality, which is like perceiving. I'll just kind of see how it is. A J personality likes to make a judgment, likes to make a decision. We can change our minds, but if we have a decision, that's stability. That's comfort. That's something to aim for. I am a hard J on this, and I'm learning to understand P's, and that only understanding and other people from that concept of understanding can even make me tolerate interacting in the world with other people in general. (laughs) Because it's just so hard. Because planners will make sure they get their thing done. Um, 
unless the Lord decides to guide their steps and it doesn't happen at all because planning can't plan for the whole world. So anyway, some of you like to plan and others like to take it day by day. But if you've struggled, you know, when, you, when you're in all of this, our plans and our, even our perceptions are trying to determine, well, what am I purposed to, to do? How is, how, what, am, what is God doing? What am, what am I made to do? Where, do I, where does, do I make a difference? And how am I going to feel the most safe? Because as much as we you know, are inclined to want to have purpose, we do want to feel content. We do want to feel secure and safe. So our refuge is often um, taken in our plans. You know, in some ways, you know, I, I made lots of plans as a child. I planned to have 11 kids. <laughs> and they were each going to have three names because I couldn't just think of, you know, I was too creative just to think of 22 names. I had to think, like, they were all going to have, like, these three names and in addition to their last name. And, um, oh, which was supposed to be Bergman at one time. Or you <laughs> certain, they were certainly going to be Bergners and then maybe uh, Berg, Bergmans and then maybe Klausners and there was all sorts of other people that they were, they were supposed to be. But uh, we ended up having Woods. <laughs> um, so, turns out that God's been guiding these steps all, all along. Well, I found myself in crisis, as I have been over the last several years, a few weeks ago, and just struggling and like going, God, you know, it's, I've had all these plans. It seems like their desires, my heart it seems like you put them there. You said this. They're, you know, dated, you know, 10 years down the future, but I'm making those steps now. Does it even matter? And, and I was like, just, you know, struggling. And I asked Jim, Jim, you know, like, what is it? When you pray about this for me, what are you getting? And he said, well, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. That's the verse he got. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I know, Ben taught that. And then I went to read my morning devotional, and it said the same exact thing. And then it was on the Facebook, you know, somebody put that up. And I was like, oh, okay, God. So this is what you're teaching me. And you're in as I was pursuing the book of Ruth, I think that that's what he's teaching us. He wants to teach us that as, we're, as we have these plans and we have our lives, that he determines our steps. And it's not just the plan. It's not like his plan that we put our faith in. It's his character and his values. And that's what the book of Ruth teaches. The book of Ruth teaches um, God's character and his values, even in the midst of our, of our plans and how his plans end up superseding them anyway. So we're going to be reading the book of Ruth this morning. So on the blue books, um, blue Bibles, are, um, that starts on page 218, and on the brown Bibles, it starts on page 208. So why don't you go ahead and turn to that, and I will pray. Father, we welcome your presence here this morning. We thank you that it is your character and your goodness that we can trust in. And Lord, we ask that as we are reading your word this morning, you will let it reach deeply into our hearts, that we will know you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, the book of Ruth starts out in the period of the judges. We're actually going to be talking about 
Exodus this fall. So we're going to be talking about how the Israelites were taken out of slavery and into the promised land. They get into the promised land and then all of a sudden they're left there and God is supposed to be their leader, but they're not doing real good listening to him. So there's all these different skirmishes and all these different wars and, and they appointed judges who would kind of determine what God was saying and go with them pr primarily into war. And, and the, the main emphasis in the book of Judges was that they would continue to win these battles. But during this time of the Judges, there, at some point there was this famine. And so everything in Jerusalem and Bethlehem, there's this famine going on. There's a lot of chaos. People were doing what they wanted in their own eyes. So some people were godly and following God pretty well. And some people were just, you know, doing what they wanted. And it turns out that um, there was a man named Elimelech who um, was living there and decided this isn't, this isn't really working out. And so we start with Ruth 1. It says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and they reached Moab, and they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Ophrah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malan and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone, without her two sons or her husband. Now, you'll notice it, um, that, that Elimelech left the promised land. He was in the promised land, the land of God and, or the, that God had given them. And he was supposed to be you know, paying attention to what God was doing. And, and God you know, said that he would provide for his people there. And yet he left. Now, it's not necessarily, it, it's, it would be seen likely as a lack of faith for him to have left the um, promised land. And we'll see in a minute that Naomi considers that a sin. She considers that she shouldn't have, that they shouldn't have left the promised land. And she takes responsibility for this. That we also see that they um, settled in Moab, which would have been a strange place to settle because the Israelites and the Moabites had conflict going on for years. And so there wasn't, it was, an, we don't know why they settled there, but it was strange. And then the sons did something that was really forbidden in the, the, um, in the culture of the Israelites. They married Moabite women who were detestable because they didn't, the, God didn't want the Israelites to marry with the um, other uh, communities because they had the different worship of different gods and they would corrupt their people. And so there's kind of some uh, um, negative points being scored against Elimelech and his family. And then we see that he dies and his son dies. Now, the um, Israelites, the readers of this, would have probably uh, um, seen God as causing these calamities. And we see in the Old Testament that often when calamities happen, um, they 
in view of God's sovereignty, they, they say that God caused these calamities. We know from a New Testament lens that Satan is in charge of evil. So Satan, um, so we don't view God as evil or and good in the um, Old Testament, even though he's in the Old Testament, he's seen as causing both things. We know now that evil is in charge of evil and God is in charge of good. But regardless, Naomi is, is seeing this as a punishment. In verse 6 it says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab and returned to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go to you and your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up and be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, I would, I, that, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Oprah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi, look, um, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing, um, she said nothing more. So the reason... In, in this society, a woman wasn't worth anything on her own. She, she was, the job of the woman was to bear sons that would continue the name of the, of the man, of, the, of in that family line. And she also wanted to bear sons because sons would be able to work and provide for her. Because women didn't do that kind of work. Women didn't, um, couldn't necessarily go out and, and provide a whole lot for themselves. They, she was left with very few choices as as a um, older woman who was not of childbearing age. She could sell herself into slavery. She could be a prostitute. She could um and or she could do some other type of menial servitude. And so in Moab there wasn't any provision for her. But in Israel there was a provision for her, and she did know that. In Israel they were told to take care of. The, the poor and the widows. And so she could go back there. And she wanted to go back there, even though she believed that she was being punished for something. Her faith still was in the, the God of Israel. Her faith still believed that God would take care of her if she went. But she knew it was going to be hard. And so 
her, she was trying to convince her daughters-in-law to go back to their mother's house because from there they would have a possibility of being married again and then they would be taken care of. But here, Ruth and Naomi are now setting out on a path toward Israel with no plan. The plan that they had, the plan that, um, that her, Naomi's husband had to take care of his family in Moab was abolished. It was gone. And Naomi um, now has to make a new plan. So her plan is to go back and just try to live in Israel. She believes that she had, um, had, was under judgment in Moab and was going back to be under blessing of God again. Verse 19, it says, this, So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is this really Naomi, the women asked? Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. So Mara means bitter, opposed to Naomi, which means kindness. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. So now we have Ruth's story. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. In the, this is a provision that was in the, the Israelites' law. And then Deuteronomy 24, 17 and 19, it says, True justice must be given to foreigners living among you and to orphans. And you must never accept a widow's garment as security for her debt. Always remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from your slavery. That is why I have given you this command. When you are harvesting your crops and forget to to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Then the Lord God will bless you in all you do. So the, they, it, it's purposed that God was going to be taking care of the poor in his community. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. This shows most people would take like the whole afternoon off. But this really shows that she's really trying to be industrious and really trying to um, help and provide for herself and for Naomi. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men to treat 
not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. So he's even given her more provision than the law provides. So we see that Boaz is a good man, and he's, um, and he's generous with uh, Ruth. In verse 10, it says, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to, get, to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Now we know that probably when, when Ruth made a commitment to follow Naomi and Naomi's gods, she, was, she hadn't really had a full commitment to the Lord at this time. But we see that she, God is re beginning to reveal himself to her. So she, she makes a commitment to someone she doesn't know, and now God is revealing more of who he is to her. In, in um, the author of the story, and Boaz, assumedly as well, wants God wants um, Ruth to understand this character of God. This this idea of God taking um, people under His wings is directly re related to the Exodus um, story. And when in um, Exodus nineteen. For it says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on wings and brought you to myself. And in Deuteronomy 32, 11, it says, like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young. So he spread his wings to take them up and carried them to safety on his pinions. So we want, um, so we want you to see, the author wants you to see that it's God's character of, of taking care of his people and his protection that is going to be seen now throughout the rest of this story. So that wing picture is, is something that was very strategically put in the story. In verse 13 it says, I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine, which is like a of wine. Um, so she, another, another scripture says vinegar. So they don't usually say wine there. They say vinegar. Um, but so you can have the bread and you can have wine. So she sat with his harvesters and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. So here we say, see Boaz extending his meal table to her. And we know that the, God says, I prepare a table for you. And we see that this whole image of, of having a table prepared and being invited to dine with um, God is now personified in this story. When Ruth went... Back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and put out some heads of barley for the bu from the bundles and drop them all on purpose. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. 
So Ruth gathered barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed her mother-in-law. Ruth, Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man whose field she had worked. She said, the man I work today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of the family redeemers. In the law, in the um, in the Jewish law, it had a, a provision that if there was someone in the family um, that was struggling, that one of the family redeemers could then um, bail them out. They would, it would be one of their responsibilities. Leviticus 25.25 says, If one of your fellow, fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell some family land, then a close relative should buy it back for him. And so this... Naomi's excited because she sees God's hand in putting Ruth in this very field of someone who is actually their relative that they could actually have connection with. So in verse 21, it says, Then Ruth said, What's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi explained. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer, and all the while she lived with her mother-in-law. Chapter 3. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of yours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now, do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he is finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and it was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned, up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Now, we see that there's people suggest that, you know, like, corn, uh, uncovering his feet was like a euphemism. That you'll, hear, you'll hear some preachers saying, you know, like, she uncovered his feet, wink, wink. <laughs> but really, that really just most likely just meant that she uncovered his feet. It was most likely a symbol of, um, of submission to him, and she was able to communicate her clear desire that she would be married. We see that Boaz is a, um, has remained faithful to God, and um, Ruth is a woman of good character. So we don't think that that there was any hanky-pinky going on, but we do think that they liked each other. So 
Ruth. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family lo loyalty now that you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. For everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you that, than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now, now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman has, was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. She measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the, in, to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she asked, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. So now we're seeing Boaz's loyalty to Ruth trying to take care of her and Naomi. So we, first we saw Ruth's loyalty, and now we're seeing Boaz's loyalty. Chapter 4. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer he mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to your relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away, because I am next in line to redeem it after you. Then the man replied, All right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children and will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I, can, I cannot do it. Now, do we see how Boaz worked that out? Who believes that Boaz really wanted to marry Ruth? <laughs> now, in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal and said to Boaz, you buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi, all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. And with the land, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way, she can have a son and carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here 
in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming to, into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by his, this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. The, the descendants of Boaz. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When she slept with, when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, "Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your own old age." For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. So we see that Naomi is called Naomi again. She's no longer Bara, Mara, which was bitter, but she is Naomi, which means kindness, which shows God's kindness. This is the generational record of their, of the, their ancestor, Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashan. Nashan was the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, who would later be their king. So this story, one of the reasons for this story was to show how the, the relationship of how the Israelites came from the judges to how um, the King David's um, genealog genealogy came about to show that um, King David really truly was from the tribe of Judah. And it was written um, either during the uh, kingdom of David or after the ex exile of the Israelites. So it was written um, like looking back, but the story itself was probably passed down through the ages. In this story, we see the... Um, priorities of God. We see that his, his really values faithfulness in, in knowing um, in looking to him even though the plan might have been messed up. We see that Naomi had a godly character because even in the midst of her, her, her struggles, she returned to the land of her people, the land of her God. She continued to worship him. And even though he's only mentioned, you know, several times in the form of blessing, we are assuming that there is a relationship between Naomi and God. We see her take responsibility because she believes that she has done something wrong. She is owning that. And we see that as a value in the story. We see that she is kind and she has influenced her daughters-in-law because both of because even though the one left the one left an out of obedience because of the impact that um, that Naomi had had to, for her, we also see that that Ruth um, 
ha was devoted to her because we are assuming that there was a close relationship because of the character that Naomi said or had and her faith in God. And we see that she has impacted Ruth enough to turn on her whole people. It was a huge deal for her to leave her town and come to um, Bethlehem. We also see value in Ruth. We see this loyalty that Ruth has to um, her, her mother-in-law. We see her uh, character. She has much integrity. She's industrious and she's committed. She's honest and she asserts, um, or she honestly explains to Boaz what she needs and what she wants. We see this friendship and we see there's stories, there's different stories in the Bible where of friends. Another one is of David and Jonathan. And this is of this um, Ruth and Naomi. And we see that God actually values friendship. And one of the reasons he shows these close friendships in the Bible is because he reveals himself to us as a friend. And then we look at Boaz. Boaz is a is a rich and powerful man. He's a he's um described some of the words that they've used for him would mean that he's like a warrior. He would go and he would fight even on behalf of his family. Um, he has good character. He's kind and generous to the poor and the foreigner. He, um, we see that he reflects God's character when it says that God lifts us, lifts the poor from dust and the needy from the garbage dump, and He sets them among princes and places them in, on the seat of honor. So we see that that Boaz is reflecting that part of God's character. And he also um, is a protector. So we see that, we see God um, described as a protector when it says, God is my rock and, and in whom I find protection. And in this story, Boaz was revealing that type of protection. And we also see the intimacy between Ruth and Boaz in marriage. When marriage is in, described often in the Old Testament in a good sense, this good sense of marriage is not always prescriptive. It's, it's describing this intimacy, these, these like knowing and serving one another type of intimacy because that's the kind of intimacy God wants us to have with him. It's not, it's, God isn't sexual with us. He's intimate with us. But the intimacy that's described in these sexual relationships are, to, are trying to describe how close and intimate God wants to be with us. And we see that Boaz is the redeemer here. Boaz redeems and restores everything that in um, Naomi's plans had been lost. But because God had guided the steps, um, God brought redemption into the lostness of her plans and redeems and restores everything. Boaz is also a, a pre-Christ picture of Jesus because God provides Jesus as our redeemer when we are lost. And so... Today, as we relate to God, we can remember that God has revealed himself over and over and over in the Bible as good. He reveals himself in the book of Ruth and in our own lives. And we, can, we need to remember how do we relate to him. We relate to him in the ways that he's already shown himself as good. Because it's evil that causes loss and death and grief and struggle. 
and God is good. If God is sovereign, then we are at his mercy, yes, but he's not just whimsically you know, get, doing stuff so that he can build himself up. He's building us up. Yes, our, our, our own choices and the choices in others reflect on us, and sometimes they reflect na- negatively, but it's not him who's causing it because he is working for us always because he has provided a redeemer. And so we remember that it is God who is kind that we interact with. The God in this story has revealed himself as a God of a refuge of kindness. Um, In Psalm 46, 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. In Psalm 91, 1 to 4, it says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the Almighty of the Father. This is this I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I will trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with the feathers of with he, he will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. And we also see the very intimate God who loves his people. In Ezekiel 16, 8, it describes God this way. It says, in talking about Israel, it says, And when I passed by you again, I saw that you were old enough for love. So I wrapped my cloak around you to cover your nakedness and declare my marriage vows. I made a covenant with you, said the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. So the story of Ruth reveals that God is for us. This God who guides our steps is not as interested in the plan as he is in his own goodness and his own relationship with us. And yet the plan that he has for us, like like far outnumber our plans. They're connected to it, but it's like bigger than what we can imagine. So today... We can commit to him. We can, we can know that he cares about his character and his priorities are good. They're good for us. So we can respond by committing to him our circumstances. We can commit to the past and, and acknowledge where he has worked in our lives in the past. We can look toward the future. We commit to him, to, to intimacy with him, because that's where we um, find him as, he's, as he guides our steps. We can see his redemption, not only in the things that he's already redeemed, but the things he has still yet to redeem until finally our lives are redeemed on the other side of eternity. And we can hold on to this hope in him always. When we're struggling, when we, in our grief, feel like we're called Mara, we can wait until he restores and calls our name and he calls us beloved always.